thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazel, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. So Connie, now we're at the beginning of October, September is over and done with. I can ask you, how did your secondhand September pledge go? It went pretty well, to be well honest. Done. Well done. Um, I bought two things from Depop, mm. so they're secondhand. My mum, full disclosure, my mum did buy me a new top from M&S. Cute. But it was just like a plain top. I don't know. So it, it didn't count, like, don't come yeah. after me. My first time my mum bought it. <laughs> Secondly, but also plain. Yeah. Like, fitted top, would, I don't know, do you, would you get that vintage? You're a vintage Oh, girl. no, of course not. Okay. I'd also ask my mum to get it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and it was, it was for work, technically. But, yeah, I wore, so one of the things hasn't arrived from Depop, the other thing arrived, and I wore it for my first day of my new job, although it was a skirt and no one could see it because um it was, like, working from home, so yeah. it's kind of pointless, but... But you felt feel, good in the skirt. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, new skirt, new job, woo! <laughs> <laughs> So it went all right. Um, I, I haven't vent- ventured into charity shops and vintage shops. Mm. And I feel like for me, Depop is safer, as I was saying on yes. the other podcast. Because, yeah. like, you see where it comes from and, like, you know what I mean? And dead people haven't worn exactly. it. Exactly. was your specific no dead worn it. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that your secondhand September adventures have gone so well. Keep me updated. I'd love to know how they develop in the future. So we went to the cinema together last week, um, the BFI, and we went to see Miss Juneteenth. Ja, what did you think about it? Um, I loved it, to be honest. I thought it was great. It was the first debut feature film from the writer and director Channing Godfrey Peoples, which is a great name, first yeah. of all. Very um, powerful. Yeah, it's like noble. I love it. Um, and it's about a single mum called Turquoise in Texas, um, in a town called Fort Worth, And the plot is basically that she wants her daughter to win the Miss Juneteenth beauty pageant because the winner gets a scholarship to a historically black university in the US. So it's obviously like a really big deal. And Turquoise herself won the pageant 15 years ago. But then for reasons that are never fully spelled out, but you can guess at, um, i.e. she clearly got pregnant quite soon after she won the pageant. Um, She never took up the scholarship. So it's a kind of a transferal of her dream onto her child which is obviously a narrative we've seen before but I just really liked it because I really liked how she conjured the love of her like Texan heritage because the director also was from Fort Worth and grew up there um and there was so many details that were specific to that place I felt um like the barbecue ribs and there's this scene where loads of elderly ladies are basically doing line dancing and there's black cowboys and all of that stuff I and oh my god that bit where there's a character who goes gator shooting oh yeah yeah and then he gets put in prison yeah for for shooting an alligator like I can't believe there's alligators there I know neither could I I was like (laughs) and why would he shoot it yeah I don't well I don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that was just a real insight into well basically how quite literally wild that that area of america mm. is i always think of america as like one unit but actually yeah. there's so many different sections of it that the geographies and climates of it are so different yeah um, like tiny little countries isn't it yeah exactly loads of them um but yeah so that was a really nice part of it but 
I also it wove in the sort of political themes really well, I thought. So Juneteenth refers to the 19th of June, which celebrates the day in 1865 when slaves in Texas finally found out that they were free because slavery was formally abolished two years previously in 1863. Um, but basically, slavery continued in Texas until a general arrived and enforced emancipation. Um, and that spectre of racial racial discrimination lies across the film but in quite insidious ways which I thought was really well portrayed so Turquoise's boss warns her about the importance of having legal papers for possessing a property because that's the only way that you can make sure that someone isn't going to take it off you yeah um and I thought that was quite a strong echo of you know freedom papers for when slaves were freed like that's your legal evidence that you're not an enslaved person um and when he tells her there ain't no American dream for black folks, like, yeah. <laughs> that's obviously something we've seen over and over again, that this ridiculous idea that you can pull yourself up out of so much stacked against you is obviously yeah, impossible. basically impossible. Um, but despite that, the main character, Turquoise, who's played by Nicole Bihari, um, she was phenomenal the actor yeah really really great actor because she portrays this woman like she's so hard working she's really clever she's ambitious but she's just worn down and tired out by life's bad luck essentially Mm -hmm. um and i thought it was nice i had a quote from the writer director godfrey peoples where she says that it's a film that asks what happens when the good news comes too late very interesting yeah with like the juneteenth exactly exactly because there's yeah, obviously, in a wider sense, like, the good news of emancipation came too late to Texas, but in the film as well, in Turquoise's personal journey, things are things are coming together in her life, but there's basically 15 years after when she expected yeah. everything to take off for her um, because of this scholarship. Um, and I read an interview um, with Channing Godfrey Peoples um, in Another Mag, which I'll put a link to, but... She said, one of the things I noticed about the folks in my community is this sense of determination that they had. There was also this grit about them, but many of them also carry themselves with grace. Yeah, I think that was very true. Yeah, which film. you can really see in how in how Turquoise behaves and in her actions, because I thought there was there is such an elegance and a tenderness to how she carries herself, like when she's smoothing down her daughter's hair, or there are these flashes where you see her in a really joyful and like fun mood when most of the time she's so focused and hardworking. Um, And the last quote that I have from that interview was that the writer director said, if I had any wish, it would be that people leave with some sense of hopefulness after having seen the film, which, which I think we did, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice, like positive, but maybe more realistic because you could see like the struggle that she'd been through exactly she's going through and it's not all perfect but yeah very nice but she persevered and Mm. yeah so if you get a chance to see that we'd highly recommend wouldn't we yes now it's time for nice nuggets of news a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by 
So what nice nug do you have for me today, Shah? I have quite a humorous story um, that a mystery has been solved in the Welsh village of Abahosan um, because for 18 months there'd been a broadband outage in the whole village at 7am on the dot, which is obviously very suspicious. Um, and they'd been trying to figure it out for ages. They'd got engineers in and it was only when they used a monitoring device that they figured out it was because an old TV set was turned on at 7am every morning in this villager's house, which emitted a single high-level impulse noise, that's a technical term, um, which interfered with all the other electrical devices. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you imagine? Apparently the owner of the TV said they were mortified and agreed to switch it off and not use it again. Oh, that is so sweet that he or she had that specific time every day where they got up and turned on their TV. Yeah, it is oh. sweet, isn't it? Because it must have been like clockwork. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine all the villagers like, damn it, again. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go on Facebook. <laughs> Can't go on Facebook. Yeah. Good story. So, Connie, what about your nuggets? What are they today? So, I've actually got two sniffing animal-related nuggets today. Very specific. Yes, very specific. The first is that in Helsinki, they have launched a team of sniffer dogs, four COVID-19 sniffer dogs, who have been working at close to 100% accuracy at detecting the coronavirus in an airport. That's weird, because it's far better than any other test I've heard of. Yeah, great. (laughs) These dogs, they're just... (laughs) Just out there, out doing humans. I think they do have an amazing sense of smell. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that about dogs as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> well, no fact. Anyway, yes, that is good news, promising. Yeah. Could potentially be a less gross and invasive test, I guess. Yeah, than the, the up nose the thing. thing. Mm. Uh, the second sniffing-related nugget is a rat called Magawa uh, in Cambodia who has just won a gold medal for his life-saving work sniffing landmines. Wow. Yeah. That is very impressive. Yes. He's discovered 39 landmines. In his life? Yeah, in his life. How long do rats live? That's pretty impressive. He actually doesn't say how old he is here. Crazy. But um, during his career, he's helped clear over 141,000 square metres of land. Incredible. Making that land safe for local people. Incredible. What a hard-working little rodent. Yeah, a little hero rat there. Mm. And there's a picture of him with a tiny medal. That is, and we'll share this on our social media because yeah. you all have to see it. You it's have adorable. to see it. It's probably that rat and Remy from Ratatouille, top two rats, yeah, I'd say. I've ever heard of. Yeah. yeah. Great work. What have you watched this week, Connie? Uh, so, among other things, including the Bake Off, um, <laughs> I watched a new documentary on BBC iPlayer called Beauty Laid Bare, which I hadn't heard about before, mm. but I just spotted it on there. Um, yeah, and it's a documentary in which four young British people, uh, three girls and one boy, fly to LA to explore the secrets of the multi-billion dollar beauty industry. Mm. As we know from our Instagram ad recommendations cosmetics was very high it was Mm. we have a target market (laughs) so i say um yeah so basically the the producers obviously chose the four uh kind of presenter people because of their attitude towards makeup so one of them um is an influencer like quite a maybe like lower level i think she's got like a hundred thousand instagram followers or something but no maybe not maybe subscribers anyway like quite a small influencer one who's very like traditional feminist hates makeup 
doesn't wear a bra, is very like anti the beauty industry. Mm. And then one girl in particular who was attacked with acid. So she uses she wears a lot of makeup and she uses it to cover up her scars and I stuff. I see. Um so yeah, interesting kind of like format for the documentary to have four normal people who just have an interest in it to kind of explore it. Um, so the first episode is about the industry and the second episode, um, from what I could see was more about like the environmental impact of it, but it was all kind of like mishmash into one. Mm. Um, so they started off talking about influencers and they spoke to a successful influencer who's called Kenneth Senegal. Um, he isn't like, he's pretty successful. He has 415,000 subscribers, Mm. but in the scale of things, like He's nothing like James Child, for example, mm. who has 22.3 million subscribers Whoa. on YouTube. And most of his videos have like upwards of 8 million views. Some of them have a lot more. Some of them, some of them have a bit less. But mm. in general, nothing under like a million views. Wow. Um, so they, so they talk, when they talked to Kenneth, he told them that he can make about £3,000 for just mentioning a product in a video. Really? Yeah, so if he's doing a tutorial, a makeup tutorial, if he mentions like, this is a MAC eye pencil and it's this shade whatever he can get three thousand pounds from sorry three thousand dollars from mac for that and then if he does a dedicated video he can make up to fourteen thousand pounds um which if you try and scale that up to someone like james charles like imagine how much he's making if he's got more than 22 times more the number of subscribers so basically be a bit more careful about what you watch on youtube because it is like a lot of it will be advertising yeah i think now they have to be more stringent about declaring it but i think in youtube videos they if they just mention something they usually don't declare that it's an ad so you're yeah. getting paid for that a lot <laughs> but also surely that introduces an issue of integrity because quite often when you start out you're choosing the products that you genuinely think are really good and yeah because you bought them yourself yeah and you've tried out a range of things but I don't know if you'll be like Mac is obviously a well-known and yeah. good brand, but I don't, if you're following someone for their recommendations, trusting that they've tried the whole range of the market and then actually they're just being paid to endorse one. Yeah. Who it's can not, you trust in this world? Exactly. <laughs> and, and a lot of people, you, um, you follow the influencer because of who they are mm. and because you like them and you kind of think you get to know them as a person, but then actually they're just like peddling you mm. beauty products. So that was a bit of a, downer um and then the other like really significant thing that the documentary showed was the environmental issue to do with um beauty products mm. obviously i've discussed this before in my secondhand september thing you're a climate um, warrior yeah obviously i'm like <laughs> in the mood for these documentaries very odd um for me but yeah they talked they had a scene where some of their presenters went to a, like a landfill site mm. in san francisco and they talked about how a lot of beauty products can't be recycled. So even if you think really? it might be being recycled, it's often not. Um, especially now, side note, I think my sister was telling me that with the coronavirus, they're not recycling anything or very little oh, because they're worried that it's contaminated. So they're just burning a lot oh, of the no. recycled stuff, which is really bad. Um, but anyway, yeah, back to the documentary. Some things they were saying, like black plastic is pretty much never recyclable because it doesn't mix well with other plastics. So if you buy like loads of yes, beauty products so are black many. plastic, like yeah. every mascara, um, a lot of the body shop stuff is black plastic yeah. containers. Um, so yeah, maybe just be wary of that. 
Um, and then also something I had not realised was that little symbol that's often on things, which is, it looks a bit like the yin and yang thing, but yeah. it's got arrows, and it's like yeah, the yeah. recycle symbol. Um, that that actually doesn't mean that the product can be recycled. What? It, yeah, <laughs> it means that that company has paid into a fund that helps recycling. Oh my God. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So every time I saw that, I was like, oh, we can recycle that. Yeah, That's wash fun. it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put it in the recycling bin. But no, it might well not be being recycled. Um, that's just like an EU thing that EU products, like EU companies have the opportunity to like pay into that fund. And oh, then so they get the symbol. might not even be a thing after yeah. 31st December anyway. Exactly. Good question. What's going to happen um, with that? But anyway, yeah. Upshot of that was that the global rate of recycling is only 9%. So 91% of your beauty products will be going into landfill. Um, God. and another really important thing they mentioned was, was um, again really depressing was this thing called candelier wax which is put in a lot of beauty products so mm. in like lipstick and things like that um, and the process of making it is basically really dangerous oh God. Um, and beauty products uh, beauty companies will kind of like outsource that to Mexican labourers so they showed a scene it's literally awful they showed a scene of like the Mexican workers in the desert they harvest this plant and like burn it and then they add sulfuric acid to oh it my to God. make it into the wax and they, they're given the sulfuric acid by companies and in the scene they were given it in like a half sawed off bottle of coke so oh it's like a plastic God. bottle and they were just pouring the acid on a fire and they had no protective equipment no gloves no mask literally nothing it was just a man in a desert like pouring it on and his kid was <gasps> in the van next no. to him it was just insane so basically the beauty the beauty companies are kind of horrible because <laughs> they're paying like nothing to these really like poorly skilled workers not giving them protective equipment and then using this wax stuff so yeah it was pretty depressing but they did have there was a they kind of showed a flip side of that um with the like idea of good possibilities that makeup can mm. have um and like the positive impact it can have on people so how it can make you feel good about yourself and feel confident and things like that so they showed um an example of a charity called beauty to the streets um mm. in which makeup artists and hairdressers go to the go to this area in la called skid row which is like um very has a very large homeless population mm. so they go and do makeovers and hair um haircuts and like mm. hair dye and put like false eyelashes everything yeah. on the homeless people um and that really showed the the positive power of the beauty yeah. industry and uh, makeup and hair in itself and like how it can make you feel good about yourself and empowered mm. so yeah on the whole it's an interesting documentary yeah and giving it a watch but yeah with all the all the environment stuff at the moment just freaks me out yeah like seeing the impact that we're having on the world it's just very depressing so yeah it's kind of worth thinking about what you need actually need when you buy products um and maybe trying to get ones where they have like a recycling scheme where you can bring back your bottles and whatnot yeah because some shops have that thing where if you have the container then you can basically just like scoop products into it yeah um lush do that a bit oh Oh, yeah they do don't they so that might be a good and i think the Mm. the body shop are trying to do more Mm. and they used to have a thing where you could bring back your old products in Mm. there but i think they're not doing it because of the virus virus. it's another thing well, you're really coming in here with the hard facts these days. <laughs> Social dilemma last week. Now the yeah. beauty industry. What's going to be next time? <laughs> I'm just cutting them down.
Welcome to From A-List to Gen Z, the segment where we talk in detail about the wild world of celebrities. So there was some actually very sad celebrity news this week. Um, Ja, did you see about Chrissy Teigen losing her baby? Yes. Yeah, this was the Instagram post um, describing her and her husband, John Legend's grief basically after she suffered a miscarriage in hospital um and there was a picture of her it was a picture of her crying on a hospital bed um and then there were a couple of john legend like holding her hand and resting his head on her shoulder and stuff um and the caption was heartbreaking to be honest it it described how they'd started calling the baby jack um and spoke about their love for their son um who obviously didn't survive um and she wrote to our jack i'm so sorry that the first few moments of your life were met with so many complications that we couldn't give you the home you needed to survive we will always love you um and the general reaction to this has been really compassionate and sympathetic i think a lot of people have praised her for being very open about miscarriage because it isn't something that's spoken about yeah um and she's she's known for having a very open approach to social media anyway and to motherhood to be honest so in the past i remember reading a um an essay of hers where she spoke about her postpartum depression um and she also does more lighthearted things that other celebrities might not share like a few weeks ago she mentioned when she was getting her breast implants taken out that she'd had put in when she was much younger and she was modeling and she so she's very open on social media um but what what shocked me about it was that this led me to look up some stats about miscarriages and I know anecdotally from speaking to older women often mothers that most women I've spoken to in that age bracket have had miscarriages but I would never have known unless I'd sort of directly been speaking to them about child rearing and pregnancy etc um but the NHS website says that miscarriages are much more common than people realize and among women who know they're pregnant about one in eight pregnancies end in miscarriage um and it it just must be such a horrible experience and I do think it would be a lot easier to handle if it was spoken about more and if people were used to the idea that it's this horrible traumatic thing that happens and it's not anyone's fault but it's something that needs a lot of care and sympathy when when discussing it yeah definitely I think um just on that point like you know how before you're 12 weeks pregnant a lot of people don't tell people because there's such a high risk of miscarrying and I feel like at the moment I've seen a lot of people um like backlash a bit against that and tell people because they say like if I were to have a miscarriage I'd rather people knew so that I could have that support exactly I think that is is quite telling that we basically encourage women not to tell people just in case um and it's like oh it'd be embarrassing for you to tell people that you lost it yeah. or you wouldn't want to talk about it or something yeah um yeah it's a weird it's a strange embarrassment thing it just reminded me of that scene in fleabag you know oh, yeah at the beginning of the series where her sister has a miscarriage in basically at a family dinner in a restaurant um and she doesn't want to ruin the day so she doesn't tell, tell anyone, anyone. Yeah. yeah and doesn't want to go to the hospital exactly and but that is just unfathomable that it's seen as something that's embarrassing and I think you're right it's it's troubling that we've been conditioned that you need to internalize that and keep it to yourself for 12 weeks yeah just to save everyone else the hassle of of the awkwardness yeah oh sorry yeah yeah 
and also that you're supposed to like contain your excitement that you're going to have the bit I don't mm. know it's just really sad isn't it yeah it like, is don't get too excited because you might have a miscarriage yeah um, exactly but you were saying you'd seen something on Loose Women about this yes I did so I didn't actually watch Loose Women but um so... <laughs> you surprised me yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know I'm part you know I've watched a few clips on YouTube <laughs> but yeah anyway um they they so they talked about the Chrissy Teigen um Instagram post in a slightly negative way from mm. what I heard they were basically implying that she shouldn't have shared um her story on Instagram and it made them uncomfortable her mm. sharing it um and they thought she might come to regret sharing something so soon um basically on such like a public platform yeah um yeah which was it was interesting and then a lot of people were quite outraged about yeah. that um so i looked on their instagram and a lot of the comments were from women who'd had miscarriages who were really upset about what mm. they said and like how dare they basically yeah. shame someone for sharing their grief or coping the way they want to yeah. with a miscarriage well there seems to be two things at play there though because first there's it's one thing you feeling uncomfortable that someone has shared that yeah which i i'm not so sure about because I mean, it's it's her pain that she's sharing and her grief that she's sharing, but I don't. I think it's a bit insensitive to say, "Oh, that makes me uncomfortable." Yeah. Um, but the second thing of saying that she might come to regret it, that's more. That's kinder in a way. Yeah. But also is a little bit dismissive of, or that maybe they don't really understand her brand and her whole persona Definitely. because she is that is who she is on social media. Like, she records the highs, she records the lows. That's why she's so popular mm. because. You know, she she goes in on Donald Trump on Twitter. She doesn't hold back. Yeah. But also she often does these really poignant and touching tweets about how much she loves her daughter and she doesn't want her to grow up and leave home and stuff. Yeah. So she is just like, she's like no filter. But mm-hmm. I, she's clearly okay with it being like that because she's built this whole empire essentially yeah. over projecting that persona. Um. So that's interesting, that, that kind of dual interpretation that they've landed on there. Yeah. I think that kind of um, old-fashioned, like, oh, it's a private matter, yes. is probably not that great for women. Yeah, That's exactly. That's kind of scene. Um, it just just makes, yeah, just keeps the shame on women and, and the grief on women, and then that perpetuates the idea that, like, why is the man even sad, you know? Yeah. He didn't even meet the baby kind of thing, so, yeah. yeah. Not great. But, again, so brave of her to do that post, I think. I saw yeah. it in the morning. Same, uh, yeah. like, first thing. Because yeah. of the time difference, and... Yeah, it hung over me for a long time. On a lighter note, I have a super fun Instagram post, which I saw from Adele, which thrillingly, for me, because I love Nicole Richie, as we know, it proves that Adele and Nicole Richie are like best friends. Oh my god! So it's Adele's birthday post for Nicole Richie's birthday, um, and it's a video of Nicole Richie like hiding to jump out at Adele and Adele like freaking out. And then the two of them with a giraffe, which Whoa. has no context, but also I love. Um, and then just general shenanigans. And she calls Nicole Richie her daily dose of grace. Oh, sweet. Which is such a lovely phrase. Um, so yeah, I love that. And it just made me realise, you know, those questions that you get sometimes where people are like, who would you want to invite your dream dinner party? Oh, yeah. I've decided that those two are definite are definite yeses for me. Yeah, and they look like they look like they'd be really fun for you to be yes. like third friend. Exactly. Be a good squad. Exactly. <laughs> squad girls. 
So, Jar, what have you been reading this week? I read a fairly long essay in The New Yorker by Anne Patchett, uh, which was about her three father figures and how they've sort of shaped and influenced her through her life. So she's best known for her novel, Bel Canto. Have you read it? No, I haven't. I kind of want to read it now after reading this essay. Um, Yeah, so I think it, it won no surprises. It was about the Japanese embassy hostage crisis in the 90s. Um, So she's like a very successful author now. Um, But this piece starts off with a description of her at her sister's wedding, where she's determined to get a picture with all of her father figures because basically her mum married three times um, and initially left Anne's father when she was five and then married Mike, who Anne refers to as her stepfather. Mm -hmm. And then Anne's mother and Mike split up when she was 24. And then three years later, her mother married Daryl. So there's like a clear chronology of these men who have sort of had an influence on her growing up. And the piece is just lovely. It sort of tracks her relationship with each man, um, what they've given her and how they balance each other out. Um, I just thought it was enormously comforting that each of them had stayed as a presence in her life, even when, for the first two at least, their relationships with her mother hadn't ended very well. Mm. Um, But they still were father figures to the kids. Um, And I just liked the structure of exploring her experience of growing up through how each man had influenced her self-perception and her goals and everything. But she, she wrote really warmly and generously about each each man, but also very honestly about what they were like and their flaws and stuff. Um, so essentially her father really wanted her to have a, a stable and reliable job and didn't really think that she would make it as a writer or thought that if she did make it as a writer, her life would be very hard because it's so unreliable and everything. Um, whereas her stepfather, Mike, basically thought she was like a genius and definitely thought she'd be a massive success um, as an author. But that was complicated because it was partly because he really wanted to be a novelist. Right. And clearly was living his dreams through her a bit. I mean, it's similar to the Miss Juneteenth aspect. Yeah, which is a a pattern that comes up quite a lot, I think. Um, And then she speaks about Daryl, her mother's last husband, who wasn't really that interested in what she was writing, but really loved her and really made her feel part of the family um so i mean it's a lovely read i would i would definitely recommend it to anyone who has a few minutes on their hands um i just wanted to read a quote from it that's from towards the end from each of the fathers i took the things i needed and then i turned them into stories my father gave me strength mike gave me adoration daryl gave me acceptance Lovely. I thought the picture was so nice. I of the know. Three of them. Yeah. Oh, sorry, the four of them, the three fathers and her. Yeah. Such a sweet picture. And also just a general thing about blended families. Yeah, it sounds like they really managed to make it work. It's so nice yeah. that they did stay in her life. Yeah. Um, and also the idea that you don't have to get everything you need from one person. Yeah. That you don't have to have one father figure that fulfills all these roles for you. You can kind of get bits and bobs from various people, and that together makes a whole. I thought that was really touching. Yeah, I definitely think that about friends. Like sometimes, absolutely, you need a friend for this thing. You need a friend for that thing. So yeah. that's really cool that she did that with her yeah. <laughs> dad. And now onto whack or woke where we re-watch pre-2010 TV series and films and see how they hold up from a Gen Z perspective. 
So this week for Whack or Woke, we watched an episode of I'm Alan Partridge. Uh, this episode is the first season finale, episode six, and it came out in 2002. Which is a long time ago now. Yeah, we were just just saying, actually, I thought it was so much older than, mm. than 2000s. I thought it was definitely 90s. But more because of the like, stylistics of it. Yeah, um, it, the filming, like the quality is just not as good. Like the, the grainy. Yeah. yeah, it just looks, it looks like a different world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's the episode where the previous BBC commissioner dies and his replacement wants to give Alan a new job. Um, so Alan's sorry life is looking up for a brief <laughs> moment. Um, and I mean, it's got a lot of hallmarks of the show, like the BBC boss's weird flirting with Lynn. Mm, um, that moment was... <laughs> When he basically talks about the size of her chest and then she crosses her arms uncomfortably and then Alan says, don't crush them, Lynn. It's <laughs> Yeah, and they talk about how a feminist has a really flat chest. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, but what I'd slightly forgotten is that a lot of the humour in it generally, but also in this episode in particular, is about Michael being a Geordie and just speaking in a really strong Geordie accent. Yeah. Like in this episode, he turns up to Alan's leaving party and he's like already drunk off Scrumpy Jack. And I just feel like like the jokes there are essentially that he, like his accent is just really strong. Yeah. Like that's he's from Newcastle. Yeah, he's from Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think that would that would have the same impact now. Yeah, I don't think people would laugh at that. No, because I d- I've experienced it in conversation when people basically take mm. the piss out of others for having regional accents. But I'm not sure it's like something you put on the BBC now. No. I feel I don't know though, because Alan Partridge has has a recent resurgence. His his series yeah. came out in 2019, and he's just come out with a new podcast. Has he? Yeah, there's an Alan Partridge <gasps> podcast now. Oh, we should listen to it. Yeah, we should listen to that. Um, but to be honest, I did I did feel like us doing this for Whack or Woke is kind of cheating because for I'm Alan Partridge, the whackness is basically what's funny about the show. Yeah, like, he's meant to be. Yeah, he's not just... Not politically correct. Exactly, and that's what's funny. Like, he's just... He is just the archetype of insecure masculinity. It's mm. a weird blend of being super self-important and then really really needy and insecure um and the whole dynamic with lynn where he just treats her so badly even though she's the only one who cares about him and runs his life (laughs) but it's it's funny because it's so dark that's the thing um and I'd also forgotten about those strange fever dreams that he has where he's like dancing in in his strip club yeah yeah crazy (laughs) and they happen so often they happen like a few times an episode i think that was quite a 2000s humor thing especially like a man in really small pants (laughs) don't you think that that was quite a like borat and everything in his mankini it was a very like it was a thing everyone found it hilarious that's true actually that's an interesting connection (laughs) um yeah i have i looked up on um on wikipedia and i got a quote from armando yanichi who is the guy who he commissioned loads of sitcoms in that period he also did the thick of it um so he's just like a producer of super funny shows um but he described i'm alan partridge as a kind of social x-ray of male middle-aged middle england Mm. which is exactly true because alan is just an exaggeration of all of the traits that you've seen in miniature in various places and people and that is why it's so funny yeah so, I mean, it's pretty whack on the woke scale, but yeah, what else do we expect? 
that's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners and social media followers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to follow us on social media at From A to Gen Z on Instagram, From A to Gen Z with Connie and Jarlette on Facebook, and at From A to Gen Z Pod on Twitter. Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen Z.